Welcome to Way Too Seriously, the podcast where we watch kids' movies and then take them way too seriously. I'm Paul Moffat. I'm Jan Moffat. And this is the first in what might be a series of WTSs about Pixar animated shorts. We're talking about the first five Pixar shorts today. And we have a plan, which is a plan, not a promise, but we have a plan to do all the Pixar shorts, right? We sure do. Have a plan. (laughs) Yeah, I think we will. I think we'll release them over the course of the next year or so. Yeah. Don't expect the next one next. No. So, for today, what are the five shorts we're talking about, Jen? So, we're talking about... The fi- the first five Pixar shorts that they made. So this is The Adventures of Andre and Wally B, Luxo Jr., Red's Dream, Tin Toy, and Knickknack. Now, we're going to approach this basically like a short WTS about each one of these. Mm-hmm. Uh, we'll see what happens because I'm not some of those. I'm not sure I have much to say about, especially in terms of the seriously. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think as we go forward, I'll have more to say about future Pixar shorts. But these ones, we'll just see what happens. This might be a short episode. It might be. So, what's our first one? The Adventures of Andre and Wally B. The Adventures of Andre and Wally B. Uh, came out in 19. 19- or was created in 1984. Uh, the director is L.B. Ray Smith. This is from before Pixar was Pixar. Mm-hmm. Um, and you may not know it. The story such as it is, like this is a graphics test more than anything else. Yes, exactly. The story is there's, I presume that Wally B is the B. <laughs> yes. There's a B and a person, sort of. Mm-hmm. And the bee chases after the person. That's essentially the plot of this short, right? Yeah, exactly. I don't have a lot to say about it. It's very early in Pixar. There's not a lot in terms... I mean, it's not even Pixar. It's very early. In terms of story, there's the just barest uh, wave at an attempt at a story. Yes, exactly. It's... um The graphics of it remind me a lot of even nowadays TV badly done TV computer animation. And so it's impressive for 1984 for yep. sure, but for to watch it now is like oh this is just like you know really basic computer animation graphics. Yeah, and in terms of like we we often have said we're talking about animation that there's both uh technology and artistry Mm -hmm. unfortunately i don't think there's a whole lot of artistry going on here either not in this one no anything to take too seriously about andre and wally b i don't think there is it's essentially a graphics test yeah so is it good is it seriously good Eh. Eh. it's really i guess it's medium in terms of seriously because it's completely neutral Mm -hmm. um and in goodness for its time and what it was trying to do, I'm sure it's great. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> right? It's not a story. So let's move on then from this one to the next one, which is called Luxo Jr. And this is one you may have seen before. It was uh, 
written and directed by John Lasseter, and it aired uh, before Toy Story 2 as a little short showing what Pixar, why the Pixar logo is the way it is. So it's the story of the two lamps Mm -hmm. and the big ball with a star on it that, that appears in every Pixar movie. So this is more like the real beginning of Pixar. So this is in, did I say 1986? Yeah. And this is, first of all, leaps and bounds a story with heart and emotion and humor. I feel like this really kicks off the whole Pixar, what if blank had feelings? This is like, what if a lamp had feelings? And then that's kind of sets the tone for Pixar. Yeah. And like, I'm going to be frank. I think this is really good. Mm -hmm. I think everything I said about Andre and Wally B that it wasn't this isn't a graphics test this is a story these lamps both have character they both have they they really have emotions mm-hmm. it's like they you know there's a big lamp and a little lamp and we project upon them a parent and a child yeah uh and the child is there's like uh development of plot because the parent lamp looks and a ball comes rolling and the lamp kicks it away and then a child comes and you realize that the child is playing with the ball and then the ball gets squashed and then the big the lamp is sad and then mm-hmm. there's a big ball and it's a fairly simple story but it's they do such a good job of making the lamps emote mm-hmm. also my sister totally had this lamp oh so did mine both <laughs> my sisters did yeah I specifically remember burning myself on it once. Yeah, they're super hot. (laughs) (laughs) And I think that is the key to this, to this one over the other one is it's not, it's not a person or an animal. It's a thing that's animated that has feelings, that has emotions. And I think that's what set Pixar apart. For sure. From, from other uh, computer animations, because so many computer animations, even nowadays, just have that problem of the dead eyes and the, if you make, try to make something look human, it doesn't look human enough. And so for them to start with animating a lamp, and so you like, the lamp like basically mugs at the camera at the end, and you know exactly what's happening. That's great. I feel like this, like, we're raving about it, but I feel like it, when you said it sets the tone for Pixar, like, not just what if Thing had feelings, it, like, the success of this, the obvious success of this was like, well, let's just keep doing this forever. Yeah, exactly. And it was exactly. a good choice. And exactly what you just said about, like, huh, they don't have to have faces. Yeah. <laughs> they don't have to try to be trying to imitate. I remember there was an episode of, this is the most bizarre comparison, but I remember there was an episode of The X-Files once where... Uh, Mulder meets like this guy who's working on artificial intelligence and he says artificial intelligence the problem is they're always trying to make human intelligence and that's never going to happen I make insect intelligence and insects are intelligent and uh, they work together and make a hive and I guess it was haunted or something I can't remember but it's like the same thing mm-hmm. trying to make human faces is an exercise in futility but making a lamp that emotes Fantastic. Yeah, exactly. Is there anything to take way way too seriously about this one? There really is. And I think I want to address the elephant in the Pixar Hmm. now. 
Yep. This is the first one made by John Lasseter. Let's talk about John Lasseter now, and then not again. Okay. He made the, all the rest of them yep. that we're talking about today, just to be clear. So the problem with John Lasseter... I mean, we don't need to go into all the details. Suffice it to say, it has now come out a while ago now that he is another one of these stories of men with power harassing, uh, especially people who are dependent on them for their power. Yeah. Who are dependent on their power. Mm. He's accused of sexual harassment. I don't remember the details of it or really want to know the details. Just he's another one. Yeah, exactly. Right? Exactly. And there's like, we've, so the question, the thing to take way too seriously, I think, with John Lasseter is the thing that we've talked about on way too seriously before, and we just, it's going to come up again. How do you react to art made by a bad person? Right? And we could argue till we're blue in the face, and I'm not really interested in parsing exactly how bad he was bad enough. Yeah. But like this movie is about a lamp. Yeah. I don't know, what do you think? Bad people make good art. Let's just start with that. That thing just put that out there that bad people can make good art and that sucks because you don't want that to be true. Yeah. You want to say, "Oh, I never liked them anyway." Yeah. Because they I suspected, or whatever you want to say. But John Lasseter made great movies. Yep. He worked hard to make great movies. However, I'm sure there are many who left his employ, especially women, who could have gone further. Yep. Who didn't because of the kind of environment he created at Pixar. And I think of... I don't know their life stories, but I think of, like, John Laster made great movies. You know who else made great movies? Pete Docter, who was in Pixar from the beginning. Uh, John Lasseter kind of gave Pete Docter the space for his career. Who's the woman who, be, who couldn't have been John Lasseter, mm-hmm. historically, because, but could have been Pete Docter? Yeah. Right? Yeah. What women out there have lost their cha- lost their chance. Lost their chance because... to be next. Yeah. And so we think of that when we think of this. I think that in terms of my watching and enjoying, um, they fired him. Yep. He Eventually. got rehired by Skydance Animation, who I will not support. Yeah. So... I support that Pixar fired him. Disney fired him. I think that was the wise choice. Yep. Um, I think they didn't act swiftly. He took like a leave. Yeah. That was, yeah, that was kind of icky, to say the least. Um, I just, there are a few different, I've, I've watched, let me speak this out. I watched a video on feminist frequency, and maybe I'll find it and link it in our show notes, about like the different approaches to when you find this kind of thing out. And I can't remember all of them, but because the one that I follow tends to be the timeline theory of like, 
Anything made before I found this out that I've already enjoyed, I can continue enjoying. Anything made after this, I will not support. Right. And that's basically how I have to cope. Yeah. So I'm not going to give you a cent more of my money, but I'm not going to pretend like I don't didn't enjoy those previous things. There's a thing right now, I mean, a similar more intense both in terms of how bad and how good the person is there's a similar conversation happening right now on twitter about a person who is you know has been known for a thousand years uh which is chaucer Mm. chaucer was a rapist that's known yeah and sometimes medievalists learn that and go through a crisis of like can I still like Chaucer? <laughs> and uh, does it matter less because he's been dead for 600 years? Yeah. Maybe or maybe not. I don't know. I think that if I don't judge anyone for any decision they make in regarding this, if you uh can't watch a single Pixar movie ever again, can't watch a single, like, Johnny Depp movie ever again, I think fair. I don't think that that's... I think that's completely a fair decision. Um, If you think that uh, boycotting one actor in a... or one producer in a movie is damaging to all the people who are working under them and with them and all around them... That's fair, too. Right. Like, it's complicated. And I don't think there's a one answer. I think I come up with an answer that works for me. But I recognize that that's arbitrary. Yep. And for me, my, like, I just can't, I don't have, can't have a coherent, uh, internally consistent approach yeah, it's that's just different thing for different people because of how, like, my emotional reaction, mm-hmm. how icked out I am for personal emotional reasons that aren't fair but are just true. Yeah, how emotionally invested I am in the work that they've made when I found out, you know, like all kinds of things. Yeah, exactly. It's a complicated. It's complicated, you know. I yep. still like and teach Ezra Pound, even though he was a Nazi. <laughs> mm-hmm. I don't like some of his poetry, but I still teach, uh, uh, whatever it's called, the apparition of these faces in the crowd. Petals on a wet black bow. Um, and all these, all these figures in the history of art and literature and film, some of them are awful, some of them are just not awful but bad mm-hmm. and my reaction just isn't con- coherent or consistent yeah so in terms of pixar like i'm with you on like i'm not going to watch anything else john laster makes but i'm still have all this affection for everything he's made and it just is objectively good all the stuff he was involved in making just is artistically good that doesn't make him a redeemable person but i 
I'm not going to feel bad about thinking that Luxo Jr. is a pretty great animated short. Yep, exactly. Which brings us to... Is it good? Is it seriously good? Luxo Jr. is really good. Yep. Like, really good. Yep, it really is. And in terms of the movie itself, yeah, seriously good. Yeah, there's nothing, there's nothing problematic about the film itself. Yep. Only about the creator of it. Exactly. So moving on to the next one, which was also directed by John Lasseter. Uh, Red's Dream is a 1987 short. It did not air ever in theaters before anything. And this is the one that is about uh, a bike store and a unicycle who dreams, who has a big dream that he is in the circus with a clown and juggles and everything. And then it just goes back to him sitting alone in the store. So basically, what if unicycles had feelings? (laughs) (laughs) The first two... I don't think we needed to with the first one, but Luxo Jr., we probably should have, but let's not go back and do it. We are not fo- we didn't follow our objectively, how to, do you like it? Mm-hmm. Uh, let's do that with this one, though. Objectively, in terms of the craft of making a story, make of animation and storytelling, how good is, Le- is Red, Red's Dream? It's great. It's fun. It's cute and funny. It's very similar to Luxo Jr. with an object that emotes. You think so? (laughs) I think the unicorn is... Unicorn? I think the unicycle is great. The, like, mood, it's all... It's got this, like, uh, jazzy film noir mood that that I think is very well executed. But the clown is a nightmare. Oh, yeah, that is true. So, like, when he goes into the dream, it's like a case in point of stick with objects, people. How did they watch this and not think, like, no, (laughs) this clown is not cutting it? I think it's bad. Uh, The clown, I mean. Mm. In terms of, like, the art of animating a thing. It looks bad. I felt like it was trying to look kind of like clay. Okay, maybe I mean, it was like trying the, to. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> In the contrast of the unicorn, I keep wanting to call it a unicorn. The unicycle looks great. Mm-hmm. And then the clown looks like junk. Yeah, you're not wrong. Um, I was more just thinking of the unicycle. I yeah, I was forgetting about the creepy clown. In terms of the story. I really like, it has some of the pathos that I love in Pixar. Mm. Uh, I think it's does pretty well at emotionally manipulating me. Yeah. Um, what do you think about the sad ending? Well, I mean, it's the story of a dream. It's the story of... What could a unicycle possibly dream about? And he dreams about being the star. Yeah. Much like we all do. And, well, it's sad in the end that, like, he wakes up and he's just back in the store and there's this kind of maudlin jazz music. I don't know. I think maybe eventually he's going to get bought and he's on sale. 
Yeah. He's on sale because he's rejected, and it ends with him back in his dark corner, and no one wants him. Yeah, that's true. (laughs) I think in terms of the craft, it does quite well of taking us on this emotional journey. Mm -hmm. How much did you like Red's dream? Not as much as the lamp one, but but I enjoy it. I don't. Creepy clown aside. You don't? I don't like it. No. I don't like the, I can recognize that the emotional journey is pretty well realized, but I don't enjoy it. Uh, It ends with like, and all his dreams were futile, and he gets nothing, and life is nothing but misery, and like. So that seems like the too seriously part right there. Is it? Yeah. Yeah, maybe. Um, It has no hope. It doesn't have any hope. Like at all. I think it's uh, cynical, actually. I don't think it's... I think at its best, an emotional connection can be sad, but it's moving because it's genuine. Hmm. And this is just cynical. I don't like this one at all. (laughs) Wow. All right, then. (laughs) Is there anything else to take seriously about Red's dream? Is there anything to be said about the clown doesn't actually need him until he notices that he's there? What does that mean? The clown and like he, he's on the unicycle and then he's the unicycle comes out and the clown just still pedals for like a really long time without mm-hmm. the unicycle being there anymore. So is that maybe show part of the hopelessness of like he's not actually even needed on stage the clown can do his tricks without him yeah maybe i i'm veering out of too seriously for a second to say i'm also i think more than usually critical of animation of juggling and of Mm. clowns because i'm a former professional clown and juggler Mm -hmm. and the juggling didn't look realistic like the physics of the balls wasn't good (laughs) <laughs> yeah that's not how juggling actually happens and i'm much more critical of that than most people are because i've spent a lot of time paying close attention to how balls move when you're juggling them sorry but the yeah the, the unique cycle like his dream is and we don't get any audience so like he's still alone even in his dream mm-hmm. he's not needed even in his dream i don't think it's I don't I don't like it. <laughs> so it's not good or seriously good? I'm willing to call it uh I'd say it's medium. I'm willing to call it medium. I like it, not at all, mm-hmm. but I can recognize that it's done well enough that I think it's medium. I think the, I'd argue the clown is badly done, and mm-hmm. so I don't want to call it better than medium. Yeah. It's medium. I don't know in terms of serious. It's hard to gauge these. Yeah, it really shorts. is. So we'll just go with seriously medium and have it at that. <laughs> because of the hopelessness. Okay. Because of the hopelessness. Take it away next. So our next one is called Tin Toy, which is the 1988 short film directed by John Lasseter. Um, this one is the one with the tiny little uh, tin, the tin toy. <laughs> <laughs> he's like a one-man band. He's a little one-man band and he... Uh, Try 
there's a ba- little baby playing with all the toys roughly and he escapes the baby and the baby has a crying meltdown and he tries to entertain the baby and the baby winds up liking the box that the tin toy came in more than the tin toy and then he desperately tries to get the baby's attention. Right. As a hilarious turn of events. So this is like... Again, the number one thing. I mean, all of these shorts, I feel like, are uh, as much like writing exercises and animation exercises as they are really, especially the early ones, as they are standalone stories made for their own purpose. Yeah. Right? So we judge the animation, and it feels like uh, they're all done specifically to try out animation techniques or ideas yeah and what they're doing in this one is really trying out shadow right Mm. there's a bright window and all the shadows around the room and the reflection on the toy's face it feels like this entire movie was made partly to like as a trial run on getting better at light in computer animation exactly exactly and it is better. And it is better. Um, I also feel like this is all this is leading up to Toy Story. For sure. This this especially, this and the next one we'll talk about are just even more okay, the next thing they're making is Toy Story. You can yeah. really see the build up. I mean, this is like toys emoting, toys having personalities. And so you can really draw this line that this is what came before and what they were building on so it's uh it's like watching the potter work at the clay yeah you know it's interesting and it's fun to watch but it's also like "Mm, it's not quite the the good that are coming for sure yeah the if you compare this with Toy Story, it's sure not Toy Story. Yeah. The baby, and speaking of creepy things, the baby in this is super creepy. Yeah. Unintentionally so. Uh, they were just trying to make a human and it did not work. It moves too jerkily, is weirdly clay-like. Yeah. Again, this movie would have been better without the attempt at a human. Yes, Just exactly. like Red's Dream would have been better without a clown in it, mm-hmm. this short would have been better if there wasn't a baby. Yeah. If we only, like, heard the baby or saw, like, an arm or something, that might have worked. It would have been way better. Yeah. And this is like a... Yeah, I don't know. It's like a... I guess, on one hand, you want to try stuff out, but on the other hand, like, it seems like a failing of early Pixar is failing to recognize when they're not when they're not doing it yeah (laughs) right that's a good point it's like something that uh is really really valuable in art and i say this both as a writer and as a critic and academic is like uh recognizing what's not working Mm -hmm. (laughs) it's very hard but if you can do it it's like what makes you great. Yeah. And at this stage, Pixar is not yet recognizing what's not working. I think. Or yes, John Lasseter as a filmmaker is not yet recognizing what doesn't work. Yeah. In terms of uh, the actual quality. Yeah. 
of the story itself, this is a great little story. It is. This is like cute and funny and kind of cleverly done. It's halfway through, it turns on its head and then it turns on its head again. Yeah. And it's very, like, it's not the most unique story in the world, but it's uniquely told. And it's like I said, Luxo Jr. has this emotional journey uh, that's surprising for such a short film and with lamps. Yeah. And this kind of has, I mean, and this also has an emotional journey in a very short time. The toy goes on this, like, emotional <laughs> growth and mm-hmm. change. And exactly what you said, there's two turns. It would have been a satisfying movie with one turn. Yeah. But there's two instead, and that makes it really good. Yeah. I think, I think actually, emotionally, it's not quite as satisfying as Luxo Jr. Yeah. But it's much more satisfying than Red's journey. Red's dream, I mean. So is it good? Is it seriously good? I think it's mostly good. Mm-hmm. I would call it medium good rather than entirely good. Yeah, because, because the, the baby, baby doesn't work. Yeah. But a lot of other things about it do work quite well. Yeah. I, I think mean, it's seriously good. Yeah. We didn't really talk it's... seriously about it. <laughs> 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 I don't know if I have much to say seriously. Yeah, exactly. Uh, because we could maybe say, uh, talk about maleness of, of the toy, but I think that's a boring conversation. Or the the baby is very agendered. Yeah, exactly. Or we could talk about the whiteness of the baby. I think maybe that's worth just mentioning, but I don't really mm-hmm. want to fault them for it. It's worth yeah. mentioning that this is a baby that's white because they didn't ever think about it i'm sure yeah um and like i don't know toys that don't want to be played with and do i don't know that there's much more to say about it it's a theme they'll return to in toy story 3 of like babies kids that aren't age appropriate and are too rough on the toys yeah uh I'll call it seriously good. Mm-hmm. Sorry, I don't mean to be slow and uh, boring. That's all right. I stopped and said, we didn't talk about this because it's boring. And then I talked about it. <laughs> Let's move on. Let's move on. So our last short that we're going to talk about is uh, Knick Knack from 1989. This one um, aired before Finding Nemo in theaters as like six years before Toy Story. This was one that we made. So. Uh, <laughs> This one is about a snow globe, a snowman in a snow globe who wants to be with the knickknacks that are outside the snow globe, particularly like a bathing beauty woman, and does everything he can to get out of it, ends up tipping his snow globe off the shelf and falling into a fish tank where he meets a mermaid and is very excited until his snow globe falls on him again and he's stuck back in his snow globe again. Womp womp. Womp womp. I feel like in terms of the animation quality, like the technology, this does not feel like a step forward to me. No. It's a lot more detailed. I guess. There's no humans in it, which Mm -hmm. is a good call. Yeah, exactly. 
I don't feel like, like, I don't know. I don't feel like this is a step forward. Maybe it's not a step backward. It's a little more detailed. I, I guess it is a lot more detailed. I just, uh, I don't know. It feels like a sideways. <laughs> it just, they started to learn what didn't work and didn't include any humans, which I was critical of Tin Toy for the baby. And so I should praise them for figuring out don't yeah, include a human. Exactly. I should mention that uh, this has Bobby McFerrin providing yes. the musical score to it, and it is fantastic. It is. I really good. like the music in this one. There's definitely. Really and that's good why music. I feel like the production value of this is increased a lot. Yeah. Okay, I'll agree with that. The story, I think, it works. It only has one turn. Yeah. Unlike Tin Toy, which had two. No, it's got two because he falls off the shelf and he gets his reward and then, oh no. Yeah, I guess the second turn happens very immediately. Yeah. Um, it's an extremely, extremely simple story. But we get some emotion out of this domain and we get some emotional journey, I guess. He wants something. You can't have it. Feels like he's going to get it, and then it gets denied again. Mm -hmm. I don't think it's a super emotionally satisfying story at all. Doesn't yeah. have a lot of emotional depth. No. It has some humor. It's cute and funny. It's fine. It doesn't... I kind of think that Knickknack is fine. Hmm. Really? <laughs> I like it quite a lot. So that differs for us. I think it's still not as good as Lexo Jr. Yeah, I think you're right. Is not as funny or as emotionally satisfying. And it's not even like... There's more... I don't know. There's more detail, but the... The... Artistry of how they move. Like, Luxo Jr., they emoted so well without faces. And they're just not trying as hard on this one, mm. I, I feel like. Yeah, I can kind of see that. You know? The so, music is so good, though. Yes, the music is so good. So this one definitely we can get into the way portion. I think this is our first because... echo on that. <laughs> yeah, time sure is. Said it with an echo. Because this time, my goodness. Yeah. Why don't you? Well, let's let's just start off with a little bit of meta information because there are two versions of this of this that we saw the second version. Yep. That was made for when it was released in theaters with Finding Nemo. But in the original version, the Miami girl sunbather and the mermaid in the fishbowl are very large chested. Are they both? <laughs> yes, they are. Huh. The mermaid in the bowl has uh, starfish pasties. Right. And in the updated version... Uh, the Miami girl is basically flat-chested with a painted-on, like, sweetheart-style uh, shirt, neckline shirt, and the mermaid has a full-on uh, seashell bra. Right. And it's also quite flat-chested as well. And so they kind of realized that this movie had some issues with, like, over-sexualization but 
just changing the chest size of your female characters does not fix that. No. Does not fix that this is the story of a horny snowman. What it does, <laughs> I feel like changing, it's so, uh, <laughs> what changing their breast size does is changes the surface, the most surface level. Mm-hmm. The most obvious surface level that they're completely objectified and like i know they're objects they're literal objects but they're they're objects that the snowman wants you said uh when you were summarizing the plot that like his the mermaid is his reward at the end mm-hmm. that long time listeners of way too seriously will know we sometimes talk about women as rewards in storytelling and we don't like it um and like that's what this story is Right, and you said I think very charitably that the snowman wants to be with all the knickknacks on the outside that are having fun, but like that's a possible read. The very much this is about him wanting her specifically. Yeah. I think is another very possible read. And she, the why did they have giant boobs? Because the filmmakers are thinking of them entirely as objects of desire, mm-hmm. and that uh, what makes women object, what makes female knickknacks objects of desire, is that they have uh, exaggerated sexual characteristics. Yeah, right. Because the filmmakers are thinking of women as mm-hmm. objects of desire, yes. and when you know that John Lasseter treated women badly that just adds an extra like oh right of course this has been an obvious problem from the beginning exactly this uh the fact that they felt the need to decrease the breast size for the theatrical release of this makes me think that it's put all on women Yep. It's, oh, those tempting women need to change themselves. We don't need to change the fact that it's a horny snowman. His behavior doesn't his change. Behavior, oh, man. His behavior does not change at all. He still gets to be a horny snowman, but these women need to change their bodies, and so they don't offend anyone. I need to, like, stop and uh, applaud that. That was such a good... <laughs> I'm so... You're so put your finger on it. Yeah. There's absolutely nothing about his behavior that has changed in the remake. Yeah. Only about their bodies. Right. Because what makes it bad is the women's bodies. Yeah. And it also, like, this is the moment when John Lasseter learned that he needed to change the surface level to hide his real characterization of and uh, yeah. treatment of women. Exactly. And it's like, you can read it symbolically as he adds a veneer. Mm -hmm. He changes how he's presenting, but not what he's actually the content. Mm -hmm. Right? Exactly. Oh, man. So is this one good and seriously good? I actually think this one is only medium good in terms of goodness at best. I think it's good. I think it's cute and funny, but I guess. medium. I get. I'll know. I'll go with you. It's medium, but it's oh, serious. Call it medium good. Medium good. Yeah. Medium good. It's medium good. 
but it's seriously seriously bad yeah even with the change like you put your finger so much on it the change doesn't change anything mm-hmm. it's it is just still nothing seriously bad. but objectifying yeah yeah well that's the first five pixar shorts we'll come back sometime when we have some free time and we feel like it and do probably another five mm-hmm. uh let us know especially let us know if you want us to because if you're like i don't care about pixar shorts then we might do it anyway but uh <laughs> if you're like please 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 that'll probably push us forward in our timeline right yep absolutely is there anything else we need to say do comment if you like way too seriously you can talk to us on twitter at wtscast you can send us an email way too seriously cast at gmail.com please uh tell your friends and rate and review us and help us to help other people find us if you think that we're worth listening to and uh if you want us to keep making great stuff we're getting really close to meeting our next goal which will be our patreon goal which would have us starting to review uh i think we said once a month a kid's book yeah if you want us to do that it's like with insight mm-hmm. so go over to patreon uh push us right up to that goal that would be fantastic you can find that at patreon.com slash clockworkscast anything else we need to say or do or notice or mention or suggest thanks for listening Thanks for listening indeed. I've been Paul Moffat. I've been Jan Moffat. And you don't know because this isn't a video, but I have been a lamp this entire time. Jan is a smaller lamp. <laughs> Excuse me? We're the same size lamp. Jan is a bigger... We're, we're equal lamps. We are completely equal lamps. Uh-huh.